Welcome back to the Red Dwarf Shuffle with the Shuffle Brothers. We are now up to episode 15, Red Dwarf Series 3, Episode 3, Polymorph. An episode where the Dwarfers are attacked by a shape-shifting emotional vampire who robs them of their emotions. It's our first episode of the shape-shifting polymorph, where the question will be asked, will this leave us wanting poly more or poly less? Find out now. Ah, yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Um, how, how have you been, mate? Well, uh, I'm married now, as you know, because you're at the wedding. Um, and uh, I've just come back from, from Perth after our... Uh, I'm sure you've all listened to the Christmas episodes. And let me tell you something. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty drab here in Melbourne. To give you an idea of what I've seen already since I've, I've, we've got back here, it's only been a day. What have I seen? Nothing interesting. But it's really hot and humid. Um, yeah. And, you know, everything's grey and miserable here. No one knows, you know, what a transperf yeah. is, and there's no free transport. Given, given everyone the um, city and cold shoulder, just, you know, filled with grey people and grey sludge, no dreams. Yeah, no dreams. Everyone wants to be the big fish in the big pond, yeah. but they're just a little fish in a pond. It's a common feeling, mate. Um, yeah, that's something we we have to deal with as well. I had a Korean barbecue last night, actually. I went for a, an all-you-can-eat barbecue place. Um, Shit. And uh, it was very good. It was a, it was a good one in the city. Um, but around halfway through, I, I got very lightheaded, and I felt like I needed to um, to vomit. Um, and it's yeah. a bit comedic because for some stupid reason, like the women's toilet is downstairs. So it's like where all of the restaurant the restaurant area is. So I follow a sign that says toilets this way and I'm like trying not to throw up. And, uh, you know, walk down this corridor, turn the corner and then there's just a sign saying women's toilet only, men's toilet upstairs. So I have to run back through the restaurant um, to the front, uh, the front of it. And there's this wooden staircase. It's really narrow. And the three people going up the staircase are just walking. Um, I've never seen anyone climb a staircase so slowly before. <laughs> And I get up there and I, I make a last dash to the toilet, finally get in a cubicle. And all I did was cough and then I felt fine. And I, I've, yeah, that's my story. It's a good one, isn't it? It's sort of like you've uh, ramped up the story uh, to this great climax and then you must have felt at the time nothing happened. It's a good story with a shit end. I forgot to add, like, um, poor timing. Uh, one of our uh, friends who was coming for dinner with us, uh, they entered the restaurant just as I got to the front to go upstairs to vomit. So I had to say hello to them, and which I would have said <laughs> hello anyway. So, of course, I wouldn't have just, you know, not said hello the whole night. But I was trying to get up there to vomit. It was like, hey, yeah. how are you going? And I'm like, oh, you know, I've got to go. So, you know, so that's my story. Um, but my story's not the story we're here for today. The, the story we're here for is, is possibly the most terrifying episode of Red the Wolf so far. And it's so terrifying yeah. that it starts off with an ominous voice telling us that this is a Red the Wolf episode that's going to be unsuitable for younger viewers and people of a nervous disposition. 
It's a uh, it's a monster of the week episode, Mag. Uh, Chase. We <laughs> see that this capsule is floating through space mm-hmm. uh, while the disclaimer's going on. As the camera zooms in on this little capsule, it looks really cool. Mm. It's like a miniature. It has like um, genetic waste. Do not open yeah. on it. So it's some kind of genetically engineered life form, and it says. The being inside, you don't want to let it out. What it does is it seeks out the deranged, the neurotic, and the damaged, feeds on them. This is a very clever moment, actually, because it establishes the premise in of this episode in like 10 seconds. It says, do not open. This is a deadly creature. Then we see that there's a hole in the capsule, and then it zooms out, and it zooms in again on Red Dwarf, and there's a hole in the side of Red Dwarf, just straight away we're getting straight into it. Watch out, there's a monster on board Red Dwarf. Boom. And it's a very uh, self-conscious monster uh, because we go from this to uh, a little creature (laughs) that sort of looks like a worm with a face uh, that's going and just shuffling around. Um, It sees itself in a reflection and uh, I always find it quite funny. It like covers its uh, it covers its eyes and goes like <laughs> oh, oh when he sees itself. So uh, he obviously doesn't like how he looks. Um, and then he starts to change into a number of household objects. Uh, these include a a teddy bear, a bucket, a spade, a, a b- bunch of flowers, a toy truck, a flamingo dancer, porcelain doll, a telephone, an elephant sculpture a hat, a baseball mitt, and then it just goes too fast for you even to slow it down. And it's just stuff from the pound shop. Uh, Before it suddenly becomes a rabbit, (laughs) hops a little bit, turns into a ball, and rolls off. Yeah. What do you think of the the look of it so far? Um, Does it look intimidating? Do you think it's going to pose a real threat? At the moment, no. Uh, The the most threatening thing is that it is able to transform and shapeshift. Um, but in its uh, its little form, um, where it's just like a little slug thing, it, it doesn't seem like the most dangerous uh, creature. It's quite funny how it goes from that first. Of course, we will see that even though this little slug thing is, is going to turn up again, there is a, another form of the polymorph which seems to be a bit more, uh, a bit more intimidating. So uh, we go to scene two. Uh, Lister is uh, carefully measuring out a spoonful of curry powder that you can put into a bowl. Uh, he then just keeps the spoon and tips the whole can of curry powder into the bowl. And uh, and Crichton walks in and he says that he's going to be doing his vacuuming and, and Lister's cooking at the time. And uh, Crichton pulls out this vacuum extension that attaches to his groin. And Crichton reveals he can plug many items into his dronal socket um, including power saws and an, an egg whisk that you can use to make omelets. And uh, though he is uh, amazed how few people are prepared to eat those yeah. omelets. It's a very funny scene. Uh, what do you think of the groinal attachment? I, I do think it's a funny scene. I think that it's a good setup for what's coming. Probably one of the funniest jokes in the, in the whole series. It is. So uh, Crichton, he has to leave because he he says that he needs to get a new bag for his vacuum. Um, So no idea where the bag actually goes. Probably in his ass. Probably. And as he leaves, he gives the cat a high five. 
I think the cat likes him, man. I suppose so. I mean, he's the only person who never has a go at the cat. So maybe that's that's part of it. But a cat walks in as Crichton's leaving. He says that something smells good and then says it's his aftershave. Now, Lister, he's setting the table up and he reveals the cat that he's been using kitchen utensils from the medical unit. Uh, so, for example, uh, a scalpel is used for knives, and, and Kat's scared that this scalpel has been used for a certain popular Jewish operation. He he's not happy. He finds out that mm. the kidney bowls and colostomy bags have been uh, have been utilized for this meal as well. The colostomy bags have chili sauce in them, and they're going to be using kidney bowls to eat. Um, but Lister puts this mess, messy mixture into the microwave, and uh, he just presses a button, and after a few seconds. Uh, the mixture turns into a ready-made kebab meal. Uh, don't ask me how that works. It's just played for laughs. They sit at the table, and uh, Lister asks Cat if he wants yeah. lemon juice uh, from a syringe, a massive... It's an artificial inseminator, isn't it? Yeah, for cattle. Uh, used to impregnate cows. I don't know why it's on Red the Wharf. I reckon they might need to keep livestock on there at some point. I don't know. I suppose it is a, a possibility. It's possible. What if they run out of beef? Go back to Earth, and you know that they, they've got to they've got to breed um, somewhere, right? They can't go back to Earth, <laughs> just yeah, just uh, like I that. So, uh, just for beef as well. I mean, how does McDonald's <laughs> get all its beef? Um, that's a good question. Like, how many cows are there actually out there? Do you think that they're actually cloning cows? I wonder if they are, man. Because I'm getting the I'm getting the feeling like there can't possibly be enough cows in the world to create that many burgers for it's, that many people. I think that's a good question. They've got some clandestine technique, which is like a, like a huge factory or something. They're, they're genetically engineering these animals, like creating them from scratch in test tubes. Like there's no way there's enough cows to feed the world. There's got to be something going on because I, I've been to lots of suburbs in Melbourne and I've never seen a cow yet. Everyone's eating them. So where the fuck are they? I I uh, followed one of these uh, beef delivering trucks once. It was leaving a Macca's, um, and I followed it. And you're not going to believe me, but this is all true. Um, I was following it on my push bike. Uh, it was a big, heavy traffic day. Yeah. So we got out of Melbourne. It was probably you know 60 kilometers west of uh, Ballarat at this point. So you know I've been getting pretty tired. I've been cycling all day, and I don't think the guides saw me. And then he he suddenly turned off the busy travel road, which is a road, <laughs> the busy travel road. Um, and he turned off. And uh, next thing I know. There's all these people in in cloaks uh, coming out of the bushes, and uh, they all jump into the van. Uh, there's a candle. No one's seen me because I, I had a green bike and it was quite bushy, and I was very thin at the time after all that cycling. <laughs> so it looked like a, a twig um, amongst the trees, and I was wearing lycra yeah. as well. So that also helped me blend in. Very stealthy. Very stealthy. So these very streamlined as well. Well, these clandestine people. Grimace was there. I saw Grimace. Grimace appeared. Oh shit! In the center I of the I road. Thought, is he omnipotent or something? I, I don't know. I don't know where he appeared from, um, but he just appeared. He grabbed this candle, and then this huge portal appeared in the sky. 
suddenly the the truck ascended into the portal and then it vanished. I had a cough, so I coughed and Grimace turned to me and Grimace said, you didn't see anything here. If you go into McDonald's again, you're going to get really, really sick, Um, which was the case beforehand anyway. Yeah. I was banished from McDonald's. Uh, I woke up a few hours later in bed and I thought it was all a dream. Uh, But when I went downstairs, there was a pamphlet in my letterbox uh, that said, what to do if you've stumbled on the clandestine secrets of a big corporation. Tip number one was don't mention it. So I've not mentioned it for 12 years until now. (laughs) Oh, that's, uh, yeah. So that's my story everyone 12 jesus that's that's like before you were in melbourne mate that's uh yeah it was one of those one-off trips but yeah um so uh, anyway you can read all about it in my new book uh which got released friday um so and and everything you want more details on is in my new book uh so yeah. please, please uh, if you're listening to me blabbering on the podcast just read my new book i've heard david i gave you a pretty good review yeah but you've got to read his book to read the review he's released a new book yeah. every podcast about his new book there. it's like so tell us tell us more about the new thing you've discovered oh as i say in my new book um i've discovered something new all the details are in the new book but to give you some details there's this highly detailed plan that they've got. And I go into who they are and what the details are in my new book. Come to the show and I'll tell you for 12 straight hours what those details are as well. <laughs> yeah, I remember re- Yeah, 12 hours show. No Q&As. Q&As. No, no improv. improv. No improv. Just read my book. Speaking of improv, maybe we should carry yes. on. God, we we went on a huge tangent after mentioning the syringe. Yes. Uh, Cat decides to leave. He won't eat a meal that is basically an autopsy. And Lister's insistent that everything is from the medical unit and it's been sterilized. You know, he's got no problem with it. This is basically quite a large Lister is a slob joke. So this is one of like Lister's caricatures, I suppose, is is that he's a slob, you know, he's always got the curry stains. Yeah, the, the, it's just an extended version of that kind of joke, really. He, he's a little bit offended because he thinks he's showing a bit of class, you know, got all this fine, shiny metal kidney dishes to serve food in. And as he says, he's trying to show a bit of class. He's actually pouring himself some wine out of a urine sample jar so it is it's a pretty funny one i mean i do tend to get sick of the slob jokes a little bit especially later on yeah it's not like he's eating a gross sandwich which i think was the first thing he did in red dwarf series 10 it's actually quite clever so the polymorph ball rolls in he starts investigating the ball and then suddenly an extra kebab appears on his plate. And we go to uh, our next scene. Rimmer, he's sat in a room. I don't know what room it is, but he's sat in there and he's watching family videos uh, when Crichton comes in to do some vacuuming. So uh, Rimmer, he he shows Crichton his brothers and he admits that uh, he was the butt of the occasional joke. Um, and while he's saying it was nothing sinister, we see what's on the video screen and uh, Rimmer's literally being tied to the ground and is going to be forced to uh, eat from a can of eggs. Literally, this the same kind of thing that we used to do to you. You know, we did it out of love. Uh, I do believe uh, uh, Rimmer's brothers, they clearly do it to be arseholes to Rimmer. 
he claims that he, he doesn't see any evil intent towards him, but there clearly is. It's pretty funny, man. Like, Rimmer's family is just so messed up, and the brothers sound like a nightmare, to be honest. I don't know why he sticks up for him. He, he goes back and forth from sticking up for his brothers to saying they got everything while he got nothing. And it's the same with his mum as well, because we, we know that he he's at times seemed quite affectionate towards his mum, and then other times he doesn't like her. Um, and uh, we, we get to that in the next scene when Crichton sees that there's a, a, young, a young woman um, sat down on a mm. deck chair in Rimmer's video, and he says, is that an old girlfriend, Mr. Arnold, sir? Hardly. Yes, I think this is so funny. Crichton, uh, a bit out of character, goes, no, of course not. Silly old trout like that. <laughs> he corrects Crichton and says, she's my mother. And uh, Crichton, um, I love this bit. I've got bits, <laughs> bits and pieces of it, but he uh, he bursts into hysterics immediately to say sorry for comparing Grimmer's mum to a foolish, aged, blubbery fish. <laughs> A, a simple-minded, scaly old piskeen. A, a putrid, amphibious <laughs> bottom feeder with less brains than a mollusk. It's so funny. <laughs> He's, it, I love how apologetic he is. It's, it's the funniest moment. Rimmer says that his mother was very prim, very proper, almost austere, and, uh, and she despised idiots. And he sort of implies that it was quite tragic for their relationship. Now, of course, Crichton says, I have no fish to embarrass you further. I'll <laughs> let myself trout before uh, coming back to, to blubber a bit more to Rimmer and say sorry. Holly comes on and, and she says that there's an alien life form on board, but she's lost it in the habitation decks. This is a bit of a weird response from Rimmer, given that we know that Rimmer in series one really loved the idea of aliens being on board. He's so dubious and uninterested in this uh, this news, you know. If it was Series 1 Rimmer, he'd be like, Aliens! We have to go and make contact now! But instead, it seems as though he's uh, bereft of spirit about it and do quite dubious that it's even a real instance of alien life form because it sounds like she's done this many times, actually. She's... Uh, announced that there's an alien life form on board and it and uh in one instance it turned out to be one of Lister's socks false alarm but uh you know according to Holly the genetic structure of the sock technically speaking it was a completely new species <laughs> I love that um I had that down as well that it's it's very different to Rimmer's old love of aliens um but it seems like he's become quite jaded so it's quite funny that Holly seems to go to to Rimmer quite a bit um, when something's going wrong on the ship. So uh, I think that Holly probably knows Rimmer's maybe more responsible than the Lister or the cat would be in this sort of instance. Rimmer's told to go to the habitation decks and uh, mm. that's when we get Crichton coming in. He's still getting used to his new accent because he walks in and goes, enjoying your meal, sir? Sir? <laughs> sir? <laughs> Um, but Lister, he's <laughs> loving the Sharma Kebab Diablo. Um, he says it's like eating molten lava. Patterson ate it once and he was in sick bay for a week. Honestly, uh, the Sharma Kebab just looks like a piece of shit, doesn't it? It doesn't look great um, whatsoever. Although you do actually have the recipe because uh, I, I I got Alex a, a Red Dwarf cookbook for Christmas. and I, you know, I've got a really uh, terrible kitchen um in my house it, there's no room uh so i'm gonna wait 
um, before I start making really um, red dwarfy meals. Yes, but at least now you know how to do it. Uh, it sounds dangerous, the Sharma kebab. Deal. If I had some sterilized medical resources, um, you know, I'd be right onto it. But I'm, I'm just gonna wait until I get out of this fucking house. Hopefully, the landlord's not a fan. And he, oh, don't like my kitchen, eh? <laughs> Uh, well, I, you can leave. I don't know. I don't give a it's shit. Really like with we're, we're um, he, he can't be complaining with the rent he charges. Yeah, you be. It's funny how landlords complain when they charge rent so high from their beach house in Cottesloe. Yeah, uh, Lister stabs the kebab. And the kebab moves, jumps off the plate, and attacks his throat. Now, Crichton initially thinks that this is just Lister loving the kebab. Yeah. Um, but Lister throws it away, and he tells Crichton that there's something dreadfully wrong, and he puts on <laughs> a pair of red shorts. And uh, as he's walking towards right, uh, Crichton, the shorts start to shrink. He falls on the ground, and he begs Crichton to help pull the shorts off. So Crichton gets down on his knees. He goes between Lister's legs, and, and Crichton still has the vacuum nozzle, and he starts uh, trying to pull the shorts off the gyrating blister. Uh, when Rimmer walks in, uh, shocked and open-mouthed, as he watches Crichton from behind uh, fondle mm. with the, the pair of shorts underneath Lister's dressing gown. It's amazing. <laughs> it's a really great scene, man. It's so good. Uh, apparently, it was so funny that the studio audience, like, they, uh, they had to wait. For like yes. two, three minutes before they stopped giggling, before Rimmer could actually say his his reactionary line. I can't say I'm totally shocked. You'll bonk anything, won't you, Lister? Uh, I love how Crichton holds up the shorts at the end uh, when he turns around <laughs> yeah. and sees Rimmer. Tiny little Ken doll shorts, and of course, like you know, Crichton chucks the shorts away when he sees Rimmer as well. Um, but the boxers have suddenly become a snake. And, and this was actually a real snake initially. Uh, when you first see it, it is a, a real, I think, anaconda. Um, but then they throw a fake one at Lister, who then chucks yeah. the anaconda in a bin. Uh, so Lister, he says that snakes are his <laughs> absolute number one fear or number two fear. And uh, Rimmer asks what number one is. And the bin opens and this uh, gigantic monstrous polymorph uh, appears and it fires a suction tentacle onto yeah. Lister's forehead. Um, as Lister remarks, that's the scariest or his biggest fear is this alien. It's interesting, isn't it, that this... Um... This monster, really reminiscent, even its little version, is really reminiscent of uh, the alien from the movie, movie Alien. It's actually got, like, the extending mouth yes, uh, yeah, that it does, the xenomorph it? has. It's quite, it really, um, Ed, it's quite so it was uh, Apparently, it was actually Ed by the director's idea um, to get this xenomorph-looking thing made because he was such a big fan of Alien. Yeah, even the small version... It, it looks like the little the chest burster alien, like when it's in its baby form, kind of. I mean, it doesn't look as good as that, but it's uh, it's reminiscent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's so it's it's quite. I, I think the things, yeah, you know, the head monster from the thing. It, it, I get that, that vibe. Me a lot of I did look it up, um, and apparently that wasn't. They didn't mention the monster from the thing. That when it comes out of the bin, it really reminds me of the thing. It's it's quite it's well done. I used to when I was younger um, think that the effects were bad, 
Uh, but that was from, you know, like stupid teenager in the year 2003, thinking everything from the 80s or 90s looked bad. When you look at it now and you're like, oh, wow, that's a practical special effect. That's really good. Yeah. And they are animatronics as well. Yeah, they're really good. So, you know, Lister's been taken out by this thing. We don't really see how it gets away from that point. And uh, we're, we're taken to, it looks like a medical bay. And uh, the cat is showing a lot of concern for Lister when he asks whether or not he's going to be okay. And uh, Rimmer explains that Lister, he seems to be all right. Um, but we do learn a bit more about this creature. So this comes from Holly and Crichton. Uh, the creature is actually from Earth. It's an attempt to create the ultimate warrior, a creature that could change shape to deceive its enemies. The problem with the creature, as Crichton says, was that it's insane. <laughs> um, it feeds off negative emotions. Um, so it's an emotional vampire. Yeah. And what it does is try and provoke a negative emotions when it shapeshifts. So in this case, Lister's worst fear. And then it sucked the fear out of Lister. So Rima asks, what are they going to do? And Lister suddenly sits up and says, I say, let's get out there and twat it. <laughs> Quite a good way to show the repercussions of being fed on uh, by the emotional vampire. Would this, Jason, would this be the first Gelf in the series? Genetically engineered life form? I suppose it would be. I think, I can't think of another one. It's human-made and it's gen genetically engineered for a certain purpose. A human endeavour that has created it, you know, based mm. on the capsule and, you know, the warning that came over the over the speaker. Yeah, I, I'd say it's, it's definitely a genetically engineered life form and I think it is the first as well. So Rimmer, he, he replies to Lister and tells him that he's ill, he needs to relax and leave it to them, uh, which is rather, uh, I wouldn't say confident or uh, courageous from Rimmer in some ways, just telling Lister to leave yeah. it. Um, but Lister says that he was taken by surprise by the eight-foot monster um and if he wants the barney they should give him one <laughs> so uh you know Crichton's ordered by rimmer to inject lister with her <laughs> so funny man. like sorry yeah um lister so he tries to inject lister in the neck with uh some kind of sedation lister goes are you trying to start trouble pal and he gets really angry Come on, all of you. He calls slags. everyone slags and then, like, passes out in a rage. I love Rimmer's response when he passes out. Oh, thank God <laughs> for that. Um, so Rimmer thinks they should run away. Crichton and Cat agree. This is a bit weird because Rimmer says that they should run away. And Crichton and Cat both agree. Of course, Holly warns them it's out there. Crichton tells Rimmer that the directive from the Space Corps directions should be to make peaceful contact with any alien species. Um, but Rimmer reminds him of the Rimmer Directive, which is never tangled with anything with more teeth than the entire Osmond family. Al, have you looked up a picture of the Osmond family? Uh, I did, yes. Um, it, and yeah, they do have a lot of teeth. And aren't they a band? They're like a musical group, and in all of their photos, they're all smiling. Seems like a fairly big family band. In the very next scene, they end up in a blue-lit corridor. They're, they're seeking the polymorph, and they're going to like try and blow it up with the newly introduced bazookoids, uh, which are like a heat-seeking plasma missile or something. In this scene, Crichton, and I think the cat as well also, like they drop their American-y, Canadian-y accents. I did notice that, actually. Their, their voices do change. Even Cats changes a bit when he calls the uh, Rimmer an idiot. He just says, idiot. Does it, does it go, 
idiot. <laughs> it's probably closer to how I would expect him to say it. The three of them are in this amazing-looking storage area. They've got heat-seeking bazookoids. So, uh, Rimmer, he's keeping his eye open for the polymorph while Crichton and the cat are hidden away with the bazookoids, and Rimmer thinks he's spotting it, so he tells them to fire into the darkness. And they do, and that's when Cat calls Rimmer an idiot because he, he didn't actually see the polymorph. But the bazookoids are heat-seeking, so they immediately turn around, and the three of them have to duck, and that's when uh, Rimmer and Crichton say that mechanoids and holograms don't produce heat, uh, which is interesting. I can understand why a hologram wouldn't produce. Actually, well, no. Yeah. I don't understand why a hologram wouldn't produce heat because they're a light projection and Crichton's a machine, so he has uh, to maybe produce it's, heat. Uh, maybe it's fucking organic heat. I uh, know. I didn't even think about that, actually. Um, I just kind of said, yeah, fair enough. Cat's the only living organism. Either way, uh, to escape the heat, uh, the heat-seeking bazookoids, Danny John Jules has to show off his dance moves as he escapes the balls. Uh, again, it's pretty impressive uh, special effects. Um, and Cat's wearing this awesome outfit. It's like a gold jacket with dangles. He's got his hair pulled back uh, like Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell? Yeah, in you know, Escape from New York. <laughs> I'm not saying you're off, I'm just saying it's that's uh like he's got like a headband. That's not as as much Kurt Russell thing, I d I didn't think. Hey, maybe you're right actually. Kurt Russell usually just has the mullet, doesn't he? I, I don't even like calling it a mullet because it makes it sound like a shit haircut, but it's uh like long hair, yeah. We can move on. Yeah, so he escaped the uh, the balls by closing them in a in a door, and they decide just to float there and not follow him. And uh, he starts sneaking around the uh, the red dwarf, trying to find the polymorph. When a uh, a sensual lady appears, a, a sensual lady. Yes, yes. And Cat just talks to her as if nothing's wrong, as if she's always been there. It could be that uh, sort of incident that like. Because you weren't expected it, you don't acknowledge how strange it is that suddenly there's a woman on board. And he just starts making conversation with this woman while she gushes about how handsome and smart he is. Now, obviously, like we know what's happening here is uh, the polymorph has transformed into a woman and she's trying to uh, tease the cat into lowering his guard. Turns out to be a success. Cat does not catch on to this until it's too late when... She basically proposes to make love to him then and there, and he's up for it. So Cat goes, hey, I'm the cat. She goes, hi, I'm the genetic mutant. Nice to know you. It, Jenny who? <laughs> and then she, she sucks his uh, something, but not what he wanted, out of his brain. She sucks his um, vanity out, as we find out later. The cat has been taken out by the polymorph. Crichton and Rimmer run over quickly to find him. Crichton reveals that he's not dead, but he has lost his vanity. And Rimmer turns to Crichton and says, it's your fault. And uh, he keeps on trying to, to make Crichton feel guilty. And eventually, Rimmer, uh, he, he turns into like Megamind, stares at the <laughs> stream of his mouth open, uh, he looks just like the opening of Strange But True. How do you feel? Guilty! Guilty! Yes! Good! Rawr. So uh, Crichton's taken out. 
Rimmer runs up to the polymorph and he's the real Rimmer. You know, he sort of Rimmer takes up this this silly sort of karate pose and the, the horrible polymorph turns into the little creature who escapes. And uh, Crichton reveals uh, that he has lost his guilt. So when Rimmer says they have to get away, his immediately immediate response is, "Oh, screw you, Hard Rock Head." <laughs> um, Hadron Head, I think. Had- oh, I thought it was Hard Rock. Ah, uh, Hadron Man. Uh, they're walking down a corridor. We see that Cat has thankfully not become Dwayne Dibley. He's just become a tramp. Crichton's just being very blasé and doesn't give a crap. Now the polymorph is back with Lister. And has turned into an older, the shining lady version of Rimmer's mum. Yeah, it's pretty gross looking. Crichton sees her first and goes, Oh, look, it's Bonehead's mum. Very prim, very proper, almost a stir. Sort of mocking Rimmer as well, you know. Because now, of course, he doesn't give two shits about uh, feeling guilty. I didn't realise this before in that previous scene when he accidentally insults his mum, but it's a good way the the writers um, decided to show that how... Crichton would normally respond if he insulted someone. I never thought about how how wise it was to bring that up because if you didn't know it, you you wouldn't know what to think had actually been taken away from Crichton. Yeah, that's true, actually. Because um, he just basically turns in turns into a really rude and uncaring robot. Doesn't even care if anyone dies to preserve himself. So, yeah, I know that's another point to the writing of this episode, I think. They set everything up really well. Actually, it's the same with the cat because he's so vain that uh, he doesn't eat from yeah. the medical equipment, even though it's all been sterilized and clean. He won't eat from it. I never thought about that, eh? Really smart. Of course, when those scenes happen, mm-hmm. when when those scenes happen, they, they come off like, oh, it's just, just a funny comedic scene, but it really sets up like what? part what aspect of their personalities is in danger of being taken out so when it happens it it makes sense it really is and we learn that lister has slept with the polymorph by the sounds of it uh, so this is the polymorph as rimmer's mum yes so- uh, I don't know what removing lister's fear has to do with this I'd say in some way fear can be tied with guilt in some way you know where like he might be enticed sexually into an encounter with Rimmer's mum, he would have no fear of being caught. He he doesn't seem to care that he has been caught. It's almost like a succubus thing as well as an incubus. I don't know the differences there, but basically, from Lister's perspective, this would be like being attacked by the sleep paralysis lady that everyone sees. And uh, yeah, apparently he's you know so he's had he's had uh, intercourse with this horrible monster. This monster's trying to egg Rimmer on because it wants Rimmer's anger. She's so blunt in uh, yeah describing what she's been getting up to with Lister. I thought my false teeth were going to fall out. <laughs> Like, I can imagine how disgusting that image is. Holly's <laughs> trying to tell Rimmer uh, that it's not his mum. It's not getting through. Um, so Holly's trying to trying her best here 
to stop uh, what's going to happen. Yeah. And I think Rimmer's trying his best to keep cool as well, but it's not working because uh, the, the polymorph knows just what to say. He was like a set of pistons in an ocean liner engine room. <laughs> it's funny, man. Oh, um, the things this man can do with alphabetty spaghetti. Alphabetty spaghetti? I'm not sure why that... That triggers him. I know maybe it was a childhood meal, perhaps seen as lovingly prepared as a child, and and this corruption uh, of alphabeti spaghetti has caused him to just blow his fuse. I, I am going to say something here, and I don't actually want a response, okay? So I don't want you to go into any detail, but I can't actually think... So alphabeti spaghetti <laughs> is literally just alphabet letters made of spaghetti, right? Hmm. So what can you do with that yeah. in this context? I've never been able to figure it out, and I don't want you to actually answer it, so um, I'm sure it'll be gross, but can you think of anything? Oh, right, I see what you're saying. I, can I think of anything? You know, some people use food in copulation. Uh, do you remember that scene That scene in Peep Show? Mark comes back from work, and he goes into the kitchen, and he's see like, there's whipped cream in the, forged into the shape of a pair of buttocks on the, on the kitchen. Jeremy, have you been... Fucking in the kitchen? Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry, Mark. We were just very horny. I think that's what's been going on. I don't know. All right. We'll leave it at that then. Uh, (laughs) Rimmer has had his anger taken from him. The face he pulls is fantastic as well. And when his anger's been um, sucked out, he pulls a very funny face. Um, But at this point, we're in a very dire situation as we enter the end game. All the Dwarfers have lost uh, an emotion. The cat has been reduced to uh, a trampish figure without his vanity. Rimmer's become a a pacifistic... uh, I've got it down here as... uh, Rimmer has become a pacifistic university-greens meeting mediator uh, who wears a shirt that says, give Keish a chance. He's he's probably (laughs) the funniest one, to be honest, what he's become. Yeah, 100%. 100%. He's a bog-standard beatnik planning for defeating the polymorph in just... You know, peace talks, basically. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> no much. action. Crichton, he just uh, he just says whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He calls uh, a Rimmer a boobo. Boobo. Lister is is hilarious here as well. He's he's just become an angry action hero. And Rimmer asks Lister what yeah. he thinks they should do. He's pretty funny. Have, have you got any 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 suggestions, David? Well, I have actually, Arnold. He talks about <laughs> strapping a nuclear weapon to his head and uh, says that he'll nut the smeg into oblivion. Which is quite funny that they actually do have nuclear warheads on the uh, on the Red Dwarf, apparently. Maybe they're for mining. I'm not sure why you'd need nuclear, though. Yeah, uh, seems a bit uh, crazy, but uh, Chris Barry and Craig Charles are great in this scene. Um, so yeah. it is uh, Rimmer's, Rimmer's plan that they release a major leaflet complaint, a campaign to defeat the uh, the polymorph. Um, yeah. That's when Crichton calls him a disgusting, pus-filled boobo. Do you, why would you offer the polymorph tea and biscuits when you know that it only eats emotions? A hundred percent. So Crichton isn't wrong here um, in <laughs> saying uh, that there are problems with the plan, even if he is a bit direct with his insults. Rimmer can't get angry, so he doesn't respond. Yeah, well, he he actually agrees that he is a he's a dork and a bubo. <laughs> it's it's a really really funny scene, and the four of them they have this argument, but they decide that they have to you know they are going to have to take out 
the uh, the polymorph at the end of the day. It's the only way to save themselves. Mm. So they go back into the storage area. Uh, Rim is carrying this uh, chameleonic life forms, no thanks uh, placard uh, while singing as they're walking down. What he's wearing is hilarious as well. They give Keisha Chance shirt, but also like the green shorts as well. Uh, I just think he looks so funny. We forgot to mention when they were actually at the planning stage, um, part of Rimmer's plan is to have some T-shirts get made that say, Mutants out, chameleonic life forms. No thanks. He also wanted to call their group the Committee for the Liberation and Integration of Terrifying Organisms and their Rehabilitation into Society. The problem is that the abbreviation of that was clitoris. Uh, this was an amazingly funny moment. Um, so yeah, right at this point, they're in a very vulnerable state because all four of them are practically useless in a survival situation without their essential emotions. Mm. And really, Holly is the only one who can provide any realistic expectation for what they should do and what, what the danger is. So really, uh, when I'm watching them head to go find the polymorph i'm just thinking they are basically walking to their own death even if the most useful one lister ends up defeating the polymorph with his excessive degree of non-fear he'll likely do it in such a way that puts the rest of the crew in massive danger i can't see any way for them to get out of this so it's just fortunate that there is a a couple of heat-seeking bazookoid missiles which are still lingering around behind a closed door yes the the two lingering or bazookoids sorry they're still flying around in that same room that cat locked them in earlier and the four uh, dwarfers, they walk towards that room while the polymorph as an eight-foot monster sort of sneaks behind them, I suppose. It's a bit weird. It's like they just walk in front of the polymorph. But they press the button and they duck and the heat-seeking missiles go straight into the polymorph and blow it up, uh, which means that their emotions return. Cat can't believe yeah. what he's wearing. Rimmer just seems disappointed in, in himself, as does uh, Lister, but Crichton probably gets the best line in the episode. Oh, how can you ever forgive me, sirs? Naturally, I will commit suicide immediately. He sticks the bazookoid in his mouth. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like, Lister um, pulls the bazookoid out of his mouth and says, Hey, hey, hey. We were all <laughs> we were all acting a bit funny back there. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, really, from Crichton, because, you know, the fact that he just commits suicide right then and there because he was rude to everyone. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Oh, man. And just the way he says, naturally, I will commit suicide immediately. <laughs> it's just, uh, oh, my gosh, it's so funny. Oh. The four of them uh, go off, I'm assuming, to change into their actual clothes and outfits. But then we go back to that space pod, and it's revealed that it had two polymorphs on board. And as they're walking by the Dwarfers, Dave Lister walks past, and then another Dave Lister walks past, uh, smiles, and then becomes the polymorph. And uh, that is the end of the episode. I really, really like this episode. I think I like it better now than I actually did when I was a kid. I think it's better written 
than I remember. And, you know, some of the slightly dodgy jokes of, uh, you know, the the dwarfers when they've lost their emotions. You know, I think I, I, I get I used to feel a bit cringy uh, from some of the things that, what's his face, Crichton said. Same with Lister as well, like overhamming the tough guy act sort of thing. Mm. Um, but now on this watch, I, I thought it was entirely appropriate and uh, I think they all did a good job. So uh, I suppose I'll, I'll go into my thoughts on it. I think it's a decent episode. Um, it's the first episode where all the characters, an alternative version of themselves, and they're all done really, really quite well, uh, particularly Rimmer and Lister. Yeah. I'm glad that Cat, obviously Dwayne Dibley is not being created yet, but I'm glad that this version of Cat isn't just Dwayne Dibley. And, you know, I know there's a lot of Dwayne Dibley fans out there in the world. Um, and I'm a fan of him in Back to Reality, and that's about it. The effects in the episode are great. Probably the closest comparison is Back to Reality. So I don't want to really compare yeah. Polymorph to Back to Reality because any comparing anything to Back to Reality is unfair. Perfect episode, isn't it, really? And it's yeah, also it's, it's going way too far forward. You know? Yeah, totally. Uh, at this stage, Crichton is still, is still being fleshed out in his uh in the way he acts you know i i can sense that just from you know his interactions he's still uh even though he's doing really well he still isn't there in the confidence level to to play uh Crichton as he does in later series and perhaps towards the end of this series so yeah, it, it was a big ask because he's getting used to playing Crichton normally, and he's doing a fantastic job coming up to the level with that. Now he's he's got to completely reverse his personality in this episode when he gets his guilt chip sucked out. <laughs> too much, <laughs> too much sucking. You know, I, f- I found that uh, the cat's um, tramp version. It's pretty good, but also it, it it's out of the four of them, I think it's the most underused. It's definitely not utilised as much as the others. Uh, as funny as I think it is, um, it's it's definitely not used as well as, you know, Lister and Rimmer are probably the best. But even Crichton, like, as you were saying yeah. before, you know, pointing out how he was saying sorry uh, for calling uh, Rimmer's mom a fish, um, and it, you know, yeah. almost looked like it was destroying him, and and that even goes back to the naturally I will commit suicide immediately thing. Um, it is pretty. <laughs> uh, it's funny just seeing that big change in him. Um, Al, I've got the scores yeah. down as Lister eight, Rimmer eight, mm-hmm. Cat seven, Crichton eight. Uh, plot, I've given five, and funniness, I've given nine. You've been a bit harsh on the plot. I think the plot is is uh, very simple in actually uh, executing the plot. I think it actually went really well. That final part with the uh, with the end of the polymorph, yes, it is a little bit abrupt, and we don't get to see bad this team would actually have been in a fair fight against the polymorph, which is a bit bit of a shame, I think. But on the other hand, it would have been really difficult to do. And they did, technically, they did set up the heat-seeking bazookoids from earlier, from when they all had full personalities. 
you know, and were able to make good choices and stuff. In the writing and the plot, I think it was actually a lot better than five. I think it was more more of an eight. Nothing complicated, but in execution, yeah, I, I think it was good. Peter Rag, his uh, his excellent um, animatronics of the polymorph. Yes, they they don't look real. They are a bit goofy looking, but at the same time, they're pretty impressive mm. for especially for Britain, man. Doctor Who Dalek is basically just a fucking bin with some lights yeah. on it. Cybermen look shit as well, if I'm honest. And uh, sorry if I sound like I'm getting angry at Doctor Who here, if, if any of you are Doctor Who fans, but honestly, uh, Red Dwarf smashes Doctor Who in terms of monster designs. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take on board what you've said. And I suppose after relenting, I think eight is a, a good score for the plot. <laughs> so we'll... We'll raise the score to eight. I, I think also possibly give an extra point to beat Nick Rimmer. All right, so we'll give him a nine. Um, I'm, I'm all for that. So that's, uh, let's have a look. Eight uh, plus nine, 17, 24, uh, 32, uh, 40, 40, 40, 40, 49 points. 49 points! 49 points! Yeah, well, thanks for acquiescing to my uh, demands for a better score for this episode, Jace. No, that's, I think that's fine. I, uh, probably during the course of this conversation, the score went up in my head as I well. think so too, um, to be honest. You know. uh, it definitely, I was even reading the plot bit thinking, oh, I've probably marked this too low. But there you go, everyone. That was the Polymorph. Before we, we sign off this week... Uh, Alex, have there been any smack lights? Because let me tell you something, uh, Knight Rider is on holiday. Uh, that was the only smack line I got. So I don't think we'll be hearing anything from him regarding Marooned. Though we did enjoy the Christmas special. Um, and you should all listen to that special because it was good. Yeah, I had a right laugh doing that. Um, so we have this other one. This is, uh, it's got a bit of an anecdote with it. So I'm I'm happy to get anecdotes, of course. Uh, and this guy's from the US, and he actually uh, sent me a. Um, I, I will do his voice. Uh, he sent me the email, and I'll, I'll do his voice myself because he's from the Big Apple, New York City. And uh, yeah, so here we go. I'll read it out. Hey, Shuffle Brothers, I got a story that might interest you boys. So I was a young kid in the 90s when I started watching the British sci-fi sitcom Red Dwarf. It was such a huge fan because Doctor Who sucked and Star Trek was boring to a young boy from the Bronx. I went to a Dimension Jump convention in the US and I was so naive I had to ask the cast at the Q&A. Yo, what the heck is Smeg? So Crichton and Lister crawled away under the table and I thought that they left the convention. I was so distraught that the waterworks came fast and hard and I was ejected from the convention for making a scene. I couldn't believe my childhood heroes had dogged me. Later, I was in a bad space in life and I needed a change. 
so I got in touch with a therapist, Donald. He regressed me back to that day, and after weeks of therapy, I could understand, finally, that Smeg was the congealed mass of debris that collects under the foreskin. Now, I was circumcised, as many people in the United (laughs) States are. So after a few more weeks of learning about foreskin hygiene, I was ready to stop clinging to my childhood trauma. Now I'm happily married with two kids, and I own my own pizza store in Manhattan called Del Boca Pizza. So if you boys are ever in the Big Apple, your first slice is on me. Keep up the good work, Bobby Borelli. Thank you so much, Bobby. I, I can't say thanks enough. Honestly, that is so good. Um, you know, I heard that uh, I think two of the cast members had crawled away from a question and answer at one of the conventions, and you know, it, it's it's a well-known story. So I wonder if maybe it was you who who'd asked them uh, that. And so th- this is really quite an iconic interview that was done um so yeah i think we found the answer there we know what smeg is and uh on top of that uh he recovered from childhood trauma i can't wait to come to new york and meet you bobby and what's the name of his restaurant yeah we'll have to make that happen sometime del boca pizza Firstly, that sounds like it was quite a traumatic experience for you, um, Bobby. The the initial shock of of not having, um, you know, your your question answered like that. Um, I think that it would have been really quite, you know, yeah, by people that you looked up yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would have been. I think if he hadn't been ejected from that convention, he might have found that they they were actually just doing a joke there and and they did actually crawl back to their seats and uh but they they famously they didn't actually answer the question because it was too rude but you know we are who we are and and i'm more than happy to uh you know announce it on here and i think i did on the first episode um we talked about smeg and the real meaning of yes, it. Yes, yeah, we did. We did, um, and it's it's just a shame that you had to go through that trauma rather than you know waiting twenty years to listen to our podcast uh, to get that answer. Well, no, it, it he did no, he did get the answer uh, from Donald, the therapist. Ah, uh, yes, that's true. Yes, sorry, my apologies because I, I left it out. I left it out um, because um, it. Donald was from Birmingham, uh, so yes, yes, yeah. He um, he he did know the answer to that. Uh, it was just the therapy. I did leave that out because I thought it was it was unnecessary. Yes, um, but yeah, that was a it's it's a great anecdote, isn't it? Uh, Alex, what's next for the Red the War Shuffle? Well. Um, the most likely thing that we're going to do is move on chronologically to the next episode, as we always do. Um, and that would be, is it body I swap? Think, I, I think, think it's body swap. We might be on to body swap. Uh, yes, we are on to body swap, uh, which Google describes as after the circuitry on Red the Wolf goes haywire and the self help after circuitry on Red the Wolf goes haywire and the self destruct secrets is true. <laughs> 
certificates. <laughs> Only Lister can save the day. That's technically correct, but uh, it's an episode where Lister and Rimmer swap bodies, uh, which is as uh, good as it sounds. Yeah. So very fucking important to mention. Very, that. very important. Um, yeah, and you know there was uh, the role reversal in Marooned, but it, it's quite a bit less literal than uh, the body swap version. But I am looking forward to watching it because it's in series three and we've seen so much. We have watched series three so much uh, over the course of our teenage years, I would say. I know that it's not my favourite. It's still a cracking episode and I'm really looking forward to it. Maybe my opinion will change. Again. Same here. I'm uh, cautiously, not even cautiously, I'm really looking forward to Body Swap. Just because I, I can, I obviously, you know, we watch these episodes so many times, so I've seen it. I feel as if it's the one in series three I remember the least about. Um, so I'm actually just looking forward to watching it after years and just enjoying what it'll most likely be a very silly episode. And that's a good thing. It's a silly episode from what I remember. There is the best layout of food I've ever seen, ever on TV. I'm sure anyone who remembers Body Swap will agree with me. There's this scene with a huge amount of delicious food, high quality, and Lister puts his head in a, a giant plate of mashed potatoes, and I just wish I was him in that scene. Uh, it's good talking to you, Alex, as always. And uh, remember, don't <sighs> go around looking for trouble. Just stick around, listen to the Red Dwarf Shuffle. Who's smart? Thank you for listening to the Red Dwarf Shuffle with those awful smegheads, Alex and Jason. You can connect with them on Facebook and Instagram at Red Dwarf Shuffle. You can also send a question, comment, feedback, insult, threat or love letter to Red Dwarf Shuffle at Outlook.com. We love receiving your dribble. See you next time.